Welcome once again to the Washington State History Podcast known as Washington Our Home. I'm your fearless field guide to Washington State History, Eric Ebel, and today we're going to be talking about the deadliest bridge collapse in Washington State history. And we're not talking about the Tacoma Narrows, we're not talking about Skagit River. This one happened in 1923 in Cowlitz County. This is the story of the Allen Street Bridge Collapse. The story begins at the Cowlitz County Historical Museum, which is just a few blocks away from the site of the 1923 bridge disaster. We're in Kelso, a medium-sized city in the Washington that has its roots in the timber and fishing industries. Kelso was platted by a Scottish surveyor in 1884 and named for his hometown in Scotland. It incorporated in 1889, same year Washington became a state. By 1904, the people there were ready for their first bridge over the Cowlitz River. That bridge, unfortunately, collapsed two years later uh, during a heavy storm. So they built a second bridge with a draw span entirely made out of wood and held together with metal cables, and that opened in 1907. Now, river traffic up and down the Cowlitz necessitated a drawbridge, which meant tall towers had to be constructed on either side to hold the counterweights used to lift the bridge. Almost ten years later, the effects of weathering and daily use required the Allen Street Bridge to be renovated in 1915. But instead of replacing old timbers with new ones, city officials decided just to lay down new ones on top of the old ones, nearly doubling the weight of the draw spans. And after a particularly brutal storm in 1922, the Cowlitz River had swelled to flood levels, and the stage was set for the deadliest bridge collapse in state history to unfold. As the log jam piled up in the first weeks of the new year, workers started returning to the lumber mills on one side of the river after the holiday. Survivors of the disaster reported hearing a series of loud, metallic pops as the twisted cables straining under the weight began to fail. The good news? The pedestrians on the bridge that heard that horrifying sound barely had time to scramble to safety. The bad news? Everybody trapped in their vehicles didn't stand a chance. As the draw spans fell, it pulled the support towers down with it, raining tons of wooden metal down on top of those struggling to get out of their cars. Almost immediately, nearby boats realized what was happening and cast off, hoping to save whoever they could. Now, rescue efforts lasted throughout the night and around the clock for the next several days. Finally, it became clear that volunteers were no longer looking for survivors. Their frantic searches had turned into a recovery effort. Since the bridge intended to replace the ill-fated wooden span was still under construction, just next to the collapsed bridge, crews quickly turned it into a makeshift platform. They began using cranes to haul out cars, cables, mangled pieces of wreckage from the river bottom. In the weeks to follow, there still wasn't an official count of the number of people who lost their lives. Because of the winter storm, the visibility underwater was close to nothing. That kind of storm usually churns up silt and debris and all kinds of things upstream that muddy the waters for the rest of the route down to the ocean. But still, city officials sent in divers to try to recover bodies even though they couldn't see anything. When that effort failed, they dynamited a three-mile stretch of riverbed, hoping that it would dislodge any bodies still stuck in the wreckage. The last body they found didn't surface until six months later, along the banks of the Columbia River, miles away from where the Allen Street Bridge once stood. 
When the cleanup ended, the third bridge, known as the Steel Span, was finished quickly to restore the flow of traffic. It stood quiet and unassuming for almost 80 years, until it was replaced in 2000 by today's bridge that covers both the river and the railroad. All that's left of that steel span today is what's known as Rotary Landing, which is a small portion of the original steel span bridge that's still left and available for public viewing. Back at the museum, staff there helped me locate hundreds of photos and news articles about the deadliest bridge collapse in Washington state history. There's even an oral history recording made in the early 1980s of an interview with a doctor who treated the injured pulled from the river that fateful day. And now, you're going to hear it as well. You were here in 1923 when the bridge fell over, weren't you? Yeah, 23. The bridge went out January the... January the 3rd, 1923, at quarter to five. Where were you? Ray Beck, the wife had scarlet fever, and I told him I'd be up that evening. I'd be up there when I get away. So I got through with it about, oh, it about 20 minutes to five, and I got through with everything in the office. So I thought I'd go over to the hospital and, uh, and tell them that I was going up on, on the West Side Highway and, and uh, so I uh, <clears throat> also wanted to tell them that I was on the, uh, that was my wife's birthday and we were going to have uh, I was going to have the dinner with my in-laws that evening which I thought a lot of so uh, uh, I started to leave, and somebody said somebody said something, and uh, one nurse came out and asked me to tell to tell a story. So I told that, and I was looking over to the office, and I see the the light going on and off. The, the light? Yeah, the light. Light is a drop cord to the thing. You see it going on. I was at who in the hell is fooling with that light over there? So. Uh, I don't know, it said somebody's going with it, and I said, yeah, and so I went down the steps, the back steps, and just as I got down the back steps, I heard that big splash over there, and I said, uh-oh, I looked over and I couldn't see the bridge. <coughs> Walked down on the corner down here, and I looked over at the bridge, and I said, well, Wendy is. Always told me that that bridge was going to go out. And I said, nobody paid any attention to Wendy. And so uh, the fellow said, your telephone's ringing up there when I come by. So I went up, up, and nobody phone. So I went and got a grip, and I put stuff in the grip that I, not that neat. fellow come on, and he said, we're going to take, we're going out on the Pomona. We'd like to have a doctor go out on the Pomona with us and pick up people out there and grab it. And I said, sure, I'll go. So I picked up the grip and I left and, and uh, got out there and we spent, we picked up a lot of people out of the river. And uh, two of them died. And uh, so uh, we come back and I took them into the little hospital we had and I filled the damn hospital up. And uh, the doctor 
Jarvie come in and took a look at it. And I said, uh, well, if you want to do something, you want to help, why? That fellow out there is bleeding pretty bad. I said, I, uh, I, I'm trying to get to him. And uh, so he didn't say anything. Pretty soon I went out. Didn't I have any electricity? I bought a lot of candles. Everybody gave me candles. Had a lot of candles around. And so I went. He hadn't done it, so I just, while I was out there, I uh, put on a pair of gloves and showed that guy up right now and got him uh, okay. Went back in and I, Jesus, I <coughs> having a hell of a time. And, and uh, Ralph Taylor, he was official for Long Bell Lumber Company, he came over and he said, uh, Are you doing this on yourself, Doc? And I said, no, I have to. I said, Nobody's going to help me. I said, People come in and look around, and as much as you say, Well, you poor sap, go ahead. Uh, he said, He left. And I had a fellow that had a broken shoulder. Didn't have any x-rays or anything, of course. Couldn't take the x-ray with no electricity, so I, uh, I uh, sit the damn shoulder, and when I'd go to put the, put it on to retain it, I'd fly out of place again. And I thought, oh, the hell with it. I don't know what the hell to do with it. So uh, Ralph Taylor come, and said, come back, and he said, have you got anybody in here from Long Bell Lumber Company? I said, I don't know, just a minute. And I went back, and this guy with the bum shoulder, I said, who do you work for? He said, Long Bell. <clears throat> you're going across the street. We got him over across the street. And uh, at 10.30, I went home that night, and uh, had a, my father-in-law used to have a farm up uh, about a mile up by the greenhouse there, and uh, so he had, he brought in, he brought down one of his old farm lanterns, had the farm lantern sitting on the end of the table. I got stuff to eat at 10.30. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went back, and uh, I come home at 3 o'clock in the morning. I said, well, I'm old, so I guess I can't do anything more. So my wife said, they want you down to Huntington's. And the Huntington's had lost her father and mother and a brother. So uh, I went down. And and uh, uh, went in, and the girl was laying over on the Davenport. And uh, I went over, and I, uh, I I told him, and I went in. And I gave him my sympathy. I said, I haven't got words to really express what I want, what I want to say. But uh, I told him how bad I felt about it, and so forth. So. Uh, I went over and I said, I can't do you any good. I said, you know, we don't have any medicine for sorrow, worry, or anything like that. And I said, this is something that happens to all of us. And I said, it doesn't happen in the big block like you people got it here tonight. But, and she said, Doctor, you look tired. And I said, I am. I'm tired. She said, you're going on. So I signed the paper. From plumber, he got, and uh, I knew he had a, I knew he had a uh, crushed liver, and uh, so uh, I tried to get a guy up from Portland. I was uh, nobody else would agree with me, but uh, the guy died before, before I stopped him at the Interstate Bridge. 
And uh, so I signed that paper. So his widow was able to get compensation from the state. And uh, I hurried around like hell, and I got him to sign it too before he died. And uh, so this is the thing that I'm proud of. People come in and wanted to pay me after it was over. Yeah. And I said, uh, well, I'm a citizen here. I hope to live here mm -hmm. yeah, for a long time. And I said, uh, this was a tragedy. Uh, you people didn't ask for this. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, I'm not going to make any money off of, off of your tragedy. I said, I wanted to be part of your restaurant. So they said, uh, <laughs> what about me? I didn't make any, I didn't get paid. And the longer the day that I worked. What the, when you were out on the Pomona, what did you see? Oh, you did. All this bridge was on a cable. It was above the, the private bridge. And it all come down the river. And the river was in such state. And it would drag, drag all that lumber down. All that, uh, and uh, there would be people hanging on to that, uh, on that, on uh, there. We'd get up and we'd get that stuff, get people off of that thing. Mm -hmm. One guy told about uh, Jimmy Steen, his name was. He was a, he was a plumber. And he went clear down to the bottom of the river. And he said he uh, picked up gravel down there in the bottom of the river. And then he said, then he started battling himself up. And, he was battling up, and the two timbers got him to the lake. And there he was. He was held, and he said, I got He said, I started to kick, and I wondered what the heck I was going to do. And just then, he said, this current, that thing had let my leg loose. And, and he said, I uh, was getting pretty short. I'd have to take a breath pretty soon. He said, I held holding my breath. <coughs> Jimmy was always pretty... Yeah, I remember we got him out, and I, I, I'd seen him around town a lot. And uh, I said, hello, Jim. And uh, he said, you know me? I said, yeah. And uh, so Jim and I always were great friends. He died here about, oh, 10, 15 years ago. That wraps things up here at the Washington Hour Home Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. If you want to check out the blog, it's WashingtonOurHome.com. Lots of great stories about Washington history, heritage, and culture. And don't forget you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And please check out the YouTube page, subscribe to my channel, and check out lots of great videos I've got there. If you're looking for photos from around Washington State, you can see lots of great pictures I've taken on the Instagram page and the Flickr page and the Pinterest page. Until next time, I'm Eric Ebel, and I'll see you somewhere in Washington. I'm sitting here with Bill Watson, who works at the Cowlitz County Historical Museum. And what's your role here, Bill? I'm the curator. You're the curator, so all of the things in this museum, you're in charge of those. Yes. How long have you worked here? Well, they've been paying me since 2007. We're here to talk about the Allen Street Bridge collapse in 1923. So you know a lot about this particular issue? Yes. And have you been in Kelso your whole life? Pretty much, yes. Okay, Kelso Longview area. Mm -hmm. Do you have memories of being told this story when you were growing up? Actually, not really. I didn't really learn much about it until I started uh, volunteering at the museum here. 
So let's talk about the specifics of the event. They had a bridge that was built uh, roughly 1905, I believe, was the original bridge. 1904. What happened was the original bridge, the first bridge, uh, got washed out in the flood of November 1906. Oh, so the 04 bridge washed out in 06. Yes. Oh, great. So two years after they finish it. Yes. And uh, so they replaced it with a new bridge in, in 1907. And that was the bridge that collapsed in 1923. Okay. So the bridge that was built in 1907 was the one that was due to be repaired for a long time. And yes. they just hadn't quite gotten around to it yet by 1923. There were some people I've read that refused to cross that bridge because they thought it was too dangerous. Yeah. Um, actually, they had done some repair work on it, I think redecking on it in 1917. But it was still in iffy shape. Now, I read that the redecking that they put, they basically just put a new layer over on the top of the old layer, which kind of doubled the weight that that bridge already was supporting. Yes, that was that was part of the problem. So in 1922, in December, there was a, a big storm that came through the area. The river swelled. And it, it dislodged a lot of debris, lumber debris from upstream. Yes. And that debris came floating down and basically jammed up at the base of this original, well, the second bridge. Yes. The one that eventually collapsed. Mm-hmm. At that point, do you know if there were any plans on removing the debris or had they planned on trying to dislodge any of that stuff? I think the dislodging of that debris was ongoing. I know they had steamboats, sternwheelers that went up the river that had to come through there and that's why it was a draw span and so the debris kept coming down they kept dislodging it and more kept piling up i mean we have pictures of the bridge two days before it collapsed wow from january 1st with the log jams still piling up now there was a second bridge being constructed at that time right like right next to it and it wasn't complete yet yeah uh they were in the process of building a steel bridge just to the south of it and at the time that the bridge collapsed the steel span was complete up to the center draw span that was the part that they hadn't completed yet and so when the the bridge collapsed afterwards they just put boards and stuff across the under construction steel span so people could get back and forth. So if I'm out there today, because this bridge is literally four blocks from this museum. Yes. There is the current bridge, which I think was built in 2006 or something like that. 2000. 2000. Okay. So it was built in 2000, the one that's over the river today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next to it, there's sort of a landing, but it turns out that it's actually a place where the I, I think it was that bridge that they built, the, the secondary or the, the third bridge, yeah, the, the one the, that they had under construction. Yeah, the steel span. And so that's all that's left of that steel span bridge is just that sort of landing that juts out. There's a little picnic table there and yep. a, a plaque kind of commemorating. Uh, it was in 1922 is when they uh, the plaque was commemorating. Yeah. Um, so where then in relation to those two locations was the bridge that collapsed? Just to the north. So upriver? Upriver. And I find this interesting because when you're pulling into Kelso, you get off the freeway, Mm -hmm. and as you're headed into Kelso, uh, the road just before you get onto the bridge jogs to the left slightly. Yes. And I was imagining that it probably just continued straight because if it had continued straight, it goes right to that steel span bridge that would have been there. Yes. So they had to jog it to the left again uh, to build the bridge that's there now. Yes. Interesting. 
from upriver to downriver, it's uh, the site of the old bridge that collapsed, and then the steel span that's just a landing now, and then the bridge that's there. Yes. When the steel span was built, it didn't go over the railroad crossing. It was the only bridge in this section, and any time there was railroad traffic, the whole road backed up, and it got really bad. There were complaints to the governor and the legislature saying, we need a new bridge. All all this rail traffic is blocking all the bridge traffic. We need to do something about that. Speaking of traffic backups, that sort of leads us to one of the primary causes of the collapse of the 1923 bridge, Mm -hmm. the draw span. The storm had happened in December. Mm -hmm. The river was swollen. The debris was lodged up against the pilings. By January 3rd, of 1923, uh, there was a traffic jam on the bridge. There was a stalled car on one end and a team of horses on the other, and in between the two were rows and rows of cars. The excess weight that was just sitting on top of the bridge is ultimately what caused the suspension cables to fail, is that right? Add to that the fact that it had been raining heavily for the last several days, and so all the boards that made up the bridge were soaked and even heavier. Because they were wooden? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. In today's world, we don't really think of bridges being made out of wood, especially when they're draw span bridges. You know, you think that, well, it's modern era, that's probably mm-hmm. steel, but in this case, it was made of wood. Yeah. So the bridge collapses. Uh, the description that I've read from eyewitness accounts say that uh, once the cables on one side started snapping, that the center span, the draw span, essentially just dropped out like a trapdoor. So that it was still hanging on by one side, but the other side uh, had fell in a slow enough manner that the pedestrians on the bridge were able to run for safety and, and make it off the bridge before mm-hmm. the whole thing fell into the water. Yeah. Um, but they obviously knew it was going down. I imagine yeah. if you start seeing one cable snap followed by more and more and more, you've got a little bit of time, maybe 10, 15 seconds to run off the bridge. Yeah. The cable on the north, the upstream side, was the one that snapped. And so when the spin dropped down, the currents just pushed it over and just dropping everything Mm -hmm. down into the current. And by everything, we're talking about cars, we're talking about people, we're talking about debris from the bridge. On either end of this uh, draw span is uh, a tower that's used uh, with the the pulley system, I guess, to to lift that that draw span up. Uh, Both of those come crashing down into the middle eventually. So not only do you have all of this human casualty in the in the water Mm -hmm. uh, scrambling for survival but now you've got towers of debris collapsing on top of them it's a horrible nightmare situation tell me about your recollection of how things went from there and by recollection i mean you're the curator (laughs) here you weren't there when it happened yes immediately people started running from both sides of the river onto the partially complete steel span seeing if they could uh Uh, rescue anyone, get people out of the water. People started putting in boats from both sides of the river to try to fish people out. Um, The construction barge for the steel span was on the west side, and they started putting that more out towards the middle of the river to try to to fish people and cars out. And it was just a big old mess. So lots of people ended up being washed downstream for miles. Yes. They were pulling bodies out of the river three miles downstream for days. 
and some bodies were never found, too. Which means that if you drive over that bridge today, there's a very good possibility that some of those folks are still down there. Either that or they were washed out into the Columbia and downstream from there. I imagine uh, with the debris crashing down that if someone was in their car when that fell into the water and the debris fell on top, unless they were able to haul that debris out in the coming weeks, which they ended up doing um, Mm -hmm. to some of the debris, but not all of it, that person would remain trapped in there, drown, obviously, and and then be there. Now, they did send divers down. Yes. And this is 1923 technology here, so these divers aren't exactly looking like the kind of divers that we imagine today. Yeah, these were dry suit divers right. with the, the right. air hose and the huge helmet. The big and, bell helmet. Yeah. Uh, and these folks are going down, but again, this is December, January, mm-hmm. and the river has been um, upstream. Is All the silt has been washed up. There's a lot of debris coming downstream. It's got to mm-hmm. be impossible to see underwater. Pretty much, yeah. So these folks literally won't see uh, a body Uh, until they're maybe inches from them. They weren't able to recover a lot of bodies that way. No. They tried. I mean, you got to give them credit. They did everything that was humanly possible in 1923, Mm -hmm. uh, including dynamite, uh, the the stretch of river in that three-mile area. Yeah, to try to bring bodies to the surface. Because they had been trapped down there. Now, the list of missing was published in the paper. Twice a week, you'd get a, a new edition saying, we found these bodies and confirmed they were dead. Mm-hmm. And then here's a much longer list of people that were still missing. Yes. And these people were, uh, a lot of them were what are called transients. And not by today's definition of transients, uh, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, a bum or a, a panhandler. They were folks who would come into town because there was work there. Yes. And there was work on one side of the river at the Long Bell Lumber Company. That was just beginning construction, yes. So the reason why this bridge collapsed is because all of those folks had just gotten off work and they were on their way home across the river mm-hmm. uh, when, the, when the backup happened and, and led to the disaster. Yeah, staying in hotels or boarding houses in Kelso. And because they weren't folks who lived in town, it was very difficult for the authorities to identify them. People had never seen them before. It yeah. was hard to hard to figure out who was down there, if mm-hmm. somebody was on the bridge, if nobody knew who the person was, how are they going to know if they're missing? There really wasn't an official death toll, was there? No. The names that were published in the paper were ones that were given to the authorities. I know the local American Legion set up an information center in the Kelso High School gymnasium to take telegrams from people saying, my husband, my son is, is missing. Was, were they in the bridge collapse? This made headlines as far north as Seattle, and it essentially became the worst bridge disaster in Washington state history. In terms of lives lost, yes. How else would you quantify a a bridge disaster then? In monetary terms. Okay. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Because in monetary terms, I mean, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge or the I-90 bridge collapse. Sure. Far surpass. Sure. Little old Kelso Bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have anything here at this museum to reflect that part of Washington State history? We have photos of the collapse. We do have an interview conducted in 1980 with Dr. Frank Davis who was a Kelso doctor at the time, and he witnessed the collapse and the immediate aftermath. I don't think we have any direct artifacts from from the bridge, but uh, we do have quite the archive of, of stories from individuals. 
And it's interesting because uh, I was talking to museum director Joseph Kovetnik about why you don't have any artifacts here, and he reminded me that Kelso was a fairly young city at the time, and nobody was really thinking about preserving their history long term. So when they hauled up all the debris, nobody thought that we should hang on to this because uh, future generations might want to have a piece of this history. Yeah, and it was it was a pretty painful part of the history, too, and not everyone wanted to preserve that. There were pieces of the bridge being found along the river, even up into the 1960s. So when did they stop finding bodies? I think the last body that they recovered along the Columbia, six or seven months later. Because the confluence is just three miles downstream. Yes. Uh, from where the bridge collapsed. That's interesting. You know, Almost 100 years later, it's uh, something that we can look back on in terms of historical significance. But, you know, for the people here in Kelso, it's still a very real memory. Yes. Bill Watson, thank you very much for joining me. You can meet Bill and all the other folks down here at the Cowlitz County Historical Museum. It's in Kelso, Washington. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 4, and admission is free.